Volume 1, Chapter 5 of the Autobiography of Madame Kion. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Autobiography of Madame Kion by Jean Kion, Volume 1. Chapter 5 No sooner was my father returned home than he became violently ill. My mother was at the same time indisposed in another part of the house. I was all alone with him, ready to render him every kind of service I was capable of to give him all the dutiful marks of a most sincere affection. I do not doubt, but my assiduity was very agreeable to him. I performed the most menial offices unperceived by him, taking the time for it when the servants were not at hand, as well to mortify myself as to pay due honor to what Jesus Christ said, that he came not to be ministered to, but to minister. When Father made me read to him, I read with such hard devotion that he was surprised. I remember the instruction my sister had given me and the ejaculatory prayers and praises I had learned. She had taught me to praise Thee, O my God, in all Thy works. All that I saw called upon me to render Thee homage, if it rained, I wished every drop to be changed into love and praises. My heart was nourished insensibly with thy love, and my spirit was incessantly engrossed with the remembrance of thee. I seemed to join and partake in all the good that was done in the world, and could have wished to have the united hearts of all men to love thee. This habit rooted itself so strongly in me that I retain it throughout my greatest wanderings. My cousin helped not a little to support me in these good sentiments. I was often with her and loved her as she took great care of me and treated me with much gentleness. Her fortune, being equal neither to her birth nor her virtue, she did with charity and affection what her condition obliged her to do. My mother grew jealous, fearing I should love my cousin too well and herself too little. She who had left me in my young years to the care of her maids, and since that to my own, only requiring if I was in the house. Troubling herself no father, she now required me always to stay with her and never suffer me to be with my cousin with great reluctance. My cousin fell ill. My mother took that occasion to send her home, which was a very severe stroke to my heart as well as to that grace which began to down in me. 
my mother was a very virtuous woman she was one of the most charitable women of her age she not only gave the surplus but even the necessities of the house never were the needy neglected never any wretched one came to her without succor she furnished poor mechanics wherewith to carry on their work and needy tradesmen wherewith to supply their shops from her i think i inherited my charity and love for the poor god favored me with the blessing of being her successor in that holy exercise there was not one in the town or its environs who did not praise her for this virtue she sometimes gave to the last penny in the house though she had a large family to maintain and yet she did not fail in her faith my mother's only care about me had been all along to have me in the house which indeed is one material point for a girl this habit of being so constantly kept within proved of great service after my marriage it would have been better had she kept me more in her own apartment with an agreeable freedom and inquire oftener what part of the house i was in after my cousin left me god granted me the grace to forgive injuries with such readiness that my confessor was surprised he knew that some young ladies had out of envy traduced me and i spoke well of them as occasion offered i was seized with an ague which lasted four months in which i suffered much during that time i was enabled to suffer with much resignation and patience in this frame of mind and manner of life i persevered so long as i continued the practice of mental prayer later we went to pass some days in the country my father took along with us one of his relations a very accomplished young gentleman he had a great desire to marry me but my father resolved not to give me to any near kinsman on account of the difficulty obtaining dispensations put him off without alleging any false or frivolous reasons for it as this young gentleman was very devout and every day said the office of the virgin i said it with him to have time for it i left off prayer which was to me the first inlet of evils yet i kept up for a long time some share of the spirit of piety for i went to seek out the little shepherdess to instruct them in their religious duties this spirit gradually decayed not being nourished by prayer i became called toward god all my old faults revived to which i added an excessive vanity 
the love I began to have for myself extinguished what remained in me of the love of God. I did not wholly leave off mental prayer without asking my confessor's leave. I told him I thought it better to say the office of the Virgin every day than to practice prayer. I had no time for both. I saw not that this was a strategy of the enemy to draw me from God, to entangle me in the snares he had led for me. I had time sufficient for both, as I had no other occupation than what I prescribed to myself. My confessor was easy in the manner. Not being a man of prayer, he gave his consent to my great hurt. O oh my God, if the value of prayer were but known, the great advantage which accrues to the soul from conversing with Thee, and what consequences it is of to salvation, everyone will be assiduous in it. It is a stronghold into which the enemy cannot enter. He may attack it, besiege it, make a noise about its walls, but while we are faithful and hold our station, he cannot hurt us. It is alike requisite to dictate to children the necessity of prayer as of their salvation. Alas, unhappily, it is thought sufficient to tell them that there is a heaven and a hell, that they must endeavor to avoid the latter and attain the former. Yet they are not taught the shortest and easiest way of arriving at it. The only way to heaven is prayer, a prayer of the heart which everyone is capable of and not of reasonings which are the fruits of study or exercise of the imagination, which, in filling the mind with wandering objects, rarely settle it. Instead of warming the heart with love to God, they leave it cold and languishing. Let the poor come, let the ignorant and carnal come, let the children without reason or knowledge come. Let the dole of hard hearts, which can retain nothing, come to the practice of prayer, and they shall become wise. O ye great, wise, and rich, have ye not a heart capable of loving what is proper for you, and of hating what is destructive? Love the sovereign good, hate all evil, and ye will be truly wise. When ye love anyone, it is because ye know the reasons of love and its definitions? No, certainly. Ye love because your heart is formed to love what it finds amiable. Surely you cannot but know that there is a note lovely in the universe but God. Know ye not that he has created you, that he has died for you? But if these reasons are not sufficient, which of you has not some necessity, some trouble, or some misfortune? Which of you does not know 
how to tell his malady and beg relief. Come, then, to this fountain of all good, without complaining to weak and impotent creatures who cannot help you. Come to prayer, lay before God your troubles, beg his grace, and above all, that you may love him. None can exempt himself from loving, for none can live without a heart, nor the heart without love. Why should any amuse themselves in seeking reasons for loving love itself? Let us love without reasoning about it, and we shall find ourselves filled with love before the others have learned the reasons which induced to it. Make trial of this love, and you will be wiser in it than the most skillful philosophers. In love, as in everything else, experience instructs better than reasoning. Come then, drink at this fountain of living waters instead of the broken cisterns of the creature, which far from allaying your thirst only tend continuously to augment it. Did ye once drink at this fountain, ye will not seek as were for anything to quench your thirst. For while ye still continue to draw from the swords, ye will thirst no longer after the word. But if ye quit it, alas, the enemy has the ascendant. He will give you of his poison draughts, which may have an apparent sweetness, but will assuredly rob you of life. I forsook the fountain of living waters when I left off prayer. I became as a vineyard, exposed to pillage, hedges torn down with liberty to all the passengers to ravage it. I began to seek in the creature what I had found in God. He left me to myself because I first left him. It was his will by permitting me to sink into the horrible pit to make me feel the necessity I was in of approaching him in prayer. Thou hast said that thou wilt destroy those adulterous souls who depart from thee. Alas, it is their departure alone which caused their destruction since in departing from thee, O son of righteousness, they enter into the regions of darkness and the coldness of death, from which they will never rise if thou didst not revisit them. If thou didst not by thy divine light illuminate their darkness, and by thy enlivening warmth melt their icy hearts and restore them to life, they will never rise. I fell then into the greatest of all misfortunes. I wander yet farther and farther from thee, O my God, and thou didst gradually retire from a heart which had quitted thee. Yet such is thy goodness that it seemed as if thou hadst left me with regret. 
and when this heart was desirous to re return again unto thee, with what speed didst thou come to meet it? This proof of thy love and mercy shall be to me an everlasting testimony of thy goodness and of my own ingratitude. I became still more passionate than I had ever been, as age gave more force to nature. I was frequently guilt of lying. I felt my heart corrupt and vain. The spark of divine grace was almost extinguished in me, and I fell into a state of indifference and indevotion, though I still carefully kept up outside appearances. The habit I had acquired of behaving at church made me appear better than I was. Vanity, which had been excluded to my heart, now resumed its seat. I began to pass a great part of my time before a looking-glass. I found so much pleasure in viewing myself that I thought others were in the right who practiced the same. Instead of making use of this exterior which God had given me, that I might love Him the more, it became to me only the means of a vain complacency. All seemed to me to look beautiful in my person, but I saw not that it covered a polluted soul. This rendered me so inwardly vain that I doubt whether any ever exceeded me therein. There was an affected modesty in my outward deportment that would have deceived the world. The high esteem I had for myself made me find faults in everyone else of my own sex. I had no eyes but to see my own good qualities and to discover the defects of others. I hid my own faults from myself, or if, if I remarked any, yet to me they appear little in comparison of others. I excused them and even figured them to myself as perfections. Every idea I had of others and of myself was false. I loved reading to such excess, particularly romances, that I spent whole days and nights at them. Sometimes the day broke while I continued to read, insomuch that for a length of time I almost lost the habit of sleeping. I was ever eager to get to the end of the book in hopes of finding something to satisfy a certain craving which I found within me. My thirst for reading was only increased the more I read. Books are strange inventions to destroy youth. If they cause no other hurt than the loss of precious time, is not that too much? I was not restrained, but rather encouraged to read them under this fallacious pretext that they taught one to speak well. Meanwhile, through thy abundant mercy of my God, thou camest to seek me from time to time. Thou didst indeed knock 
at the door of my heart. I was often penetrated with the most lively sorrow and shed abundance of tears. I was afflicted to find my state so different from what it was when I enjoyed thy sacred presence, but my tears were fruitless and my grief in vain. I could not of myself get out of this wretched state. I wished some hand, as charitable as powerful, would extricate me. As for myself, I had no power. If I had had any friend who would have examined the cause of this evil and made me have recourse again to prayer, while which was the only means of relief, all would have been well. I was like the prophet in a deep abyss of mire, which I could not get out of it. I met with reprimands for being in it, but none were kind enough to reach out to free me. And when I tried vain efforts to get out, I only sank the deeper, and each fruitless attempt only made me see my own impotence and render me more afflicted. Oh, how much compassion has this sad experience given me for sinners! It has taught me why so few of them emerge from the miserable state in which they have fallen. Such a seed only cry out against their disorders and frighten them with threats of future punishment. These cries and threats at first make some impression, and they use some weak efforts after liberty. But after having experienced their insufficiency, they gradually abate in their design and lose their courage for trying any more. All that man can say to them afterward is but lost labor, though one preached to them incessantly. When any for relief run to confess, the only true remedy for them is prayer, to present themselves before God as criminals, beg strength of Him to rise out of this state. Then would they soon be changed and brought out of the mire and clay. But the devil has falsely persuaded the doctors and the wise men of the age that in order to pray it is necessary first to be perfectly converted. Hence people are dissuaded from it, and hence there is rarely any conversion that is durable. The devil is outrageous only against prayer and those that exercise it, because he knows it is the true means of taking his prey from him. He let us undergo all the austerities we will. He neither persecutes those that enjoy them, nor those that practice them. But no sooner does one enter into a spiritual life, a life of prayer, but they must prepare for strange crosses. All manner of persecutions and contempts in this world 
are reserved for that life. Miserable as the condition was to which I was reduced by my infidelities and the little help I had from my confessor, I did not fail to say my vocal prayers every day, to confess pretty often, and to partake of the communion almost every fortnight. Sometimes I went to church to weep and to pray to the Blessed Virgin to obtain my conversion. I loved to hear anyone speak of God. I would never tire of the conversation. When my father spoke of him, I was transported with joy. And when he and my mother went on any pilgrimage and were to set off early in the morning, I either did not go to bed the night before or hire the girls to awake me early. My father's conversation at such times was always of divine matters, which afforded me the highest delight, and I preferred that subject to any other. I also loved the poor and was charitable even while I was so very faulty. How strange may this seem to some, and how hard to reconcile things so very opposite. End of chapter 5, volume 1